0: Well, welcome to the Christian Church of Esses Park, where disciples of Jesus have built generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. This is Pastor Aaron. I'm glad to have you with us on this uh, first sermon after Easter where we started our new series, Living Hope. Last week we talked, of course, about how we can have a living hope, this kind of hope that just flows out of our lives and uh, into our community. And that, of course, comes from the power of God's resurrection. And uh, we're going to be talking about how we can have that living hope filling our life in all kinds of ways And uh, today we're going to talk about how we can have living hope to help us face something called illness, which I know is a little bit of a topic of the day, which is why I'm the only one here this morning. But uh, we're going to be talking about that and how to have this living hope. And I'll tell you what, uh, my family has dealt with uh, dealing with illness for quite some time. We know a little about this. And uh, the honest truth of it is that illness is a thief. And uh, for all of you guys who have maybe have... Uh, been laid off, lost your jobs for a little while, or have lost your freedoms, you'd say, Amen, Aaron, illness is a thief. And it is. That's one of the things about illness is it doesn't just make you feel bad. I mean, like when you get sick, just uh, you lose freedoms, you lose abilities, you lose finances. It just takes and takes and takes. And it's that withering effect of illness that uh, really is uh, so hard. On the soul, and so today we're going to talk about four truths that can give us living hope in the face of illness. Before we get to that, of course, we want to go to our memory verse for this series, which is Romans uh, chapter eight, verses eighteen. And so, if you were with us last Sunday, hopefully you remember how we do this. We just say it along with me. We're going to begin imprinting that passage on our hearts, so it begins to, as a filter for our minds as we go to today's message. So here we go. Say it along with me. Three. Two, 1. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8.18. i it again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans eight. 18. And one more time, just to help it uh, stick into our minds and just test ourselves. Here we go. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, 18. And that's such a wonderful passage. We're going to come back to that actually in later part of the day's message. But one of the things I want you to get from that passage and from today's message, you get nothing else is this. God is good. God is good. And and the truth of that is going to be able to help us weather the illness uh, that is in this world. It's going to revolutionize your life when you really grasp the truth of that concept that God is good. God's not good just because he does good things. That God is good because that's who he is. In fact, that's how we get our definition of what good is, is because of who God is. And God is so good. God knows everything, right? And he can do anything. But because God is good, He doesn't just love us, he loves us perfectly. And that gives us such great hope, especially when we face things like illness. Now to unpack today's message, to unpack this truth, how good God is and how we can face illness, we're going to look at just a few people in scripture this morning who faced illness. And so the first one I want us to look at is a guy named Naaman. And we're going to read about him in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, Naaman, uh, this story, this real guy took place. This took place about 850 years before Jesus walked the earth. And at that time, there was a prophet in Israel named Elisha. And he was a very powerful prophet, well-known. did all kinds of amazing miracles. And at that time, there was also, there was a nation that was north of them that they were not so much in um, a good Uh, relations with. Uh, They were kind of enemies, and Naaman was a general in that army. And so here we go. Let's read a little of the story starting in verse 1, a little about Naaman here. It says, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to to him, "'Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, "'and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed.' "'But Naaman went away angry and said, "'I thought that he would surely come out to me "'and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God "'and wave his hand all over the spot "'and cure me of my leprosy. "'Are not the Abna and the Farpar rivers in Damascus "'better than all the waters in Israel?' Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a rage. Now Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored. And he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, and they stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now, it's an interesting story, and I think oftentimes uh, Naaman had the same kind of expectations about healing that a lot of people today have. When they go to uh, to, to be healed, they uh, sometimes they come to me and they say, hey, Pastor Aaron, would you please pray for me for uh, for healing? And absolutely. And I'll pray for them and I'll anoint them with oil and things. But uh, sometimes they put their faith in the ritual and not in the God behind the ritual. I think that's part of what Naaman had here. He was like, I thought that surely he would call the name of the Lord. There'd be this big production, this big show. He'd wave his hands in the air and over the space and all of that. I understand that that uh, God can heal anyone, right? And he can heal however he wants. And that's something we get from this story. It's one of the reasons I chose it, is that God really can heal, and not oftentimes in the way that we think he will, that healing is from God. It's not the ritual. It's not the spectacle that God can heal. And the thing, too, I want you to get is God can heal anyone. Naaman was not a, a friend of Israel. He was a general of one of Israel's enemies. In fact, his own house had a servant girl who was kidnapped from the people of Israel. And yet, Naaman was healed. God can heal even his enemies. And think about this too. Naaman was a man who didn't have a whole lot of faith. He didn't know the God of Israel. Before he dipped himself in the water, he wasn't convinced that there wasn't other gods in all the rest of the world except Israel. Naaman was not healed because he was a friend of God, and he was not healed because he was a man of great faith. He was healed because God chose to heal him, and God can heal anyone. The second uh, story I want us to get to is Lazarus, a man named Lazarus, who was a little on the other side of the spectrum. Naaman was an enemy general, Lazarus, was Jesus' really close friend. And and what happened with Lazarus is, uh, Lazarus got really, really sick. Had some kind of big cold, something really bad happened to him. And Jesus wasn't that far away. And so Lazarus and his family sent for Jesus and their expectation was, well, certainly this God who would heal enemies like Naaman certainly will come and heal one of their best friends. And so they had this full faith and expectation that Jesus would come and would heal Lazarus. But Jesus didn't. Jesus waited on purpose until he knew that Lazarus had died. And then after Lazarus was dead for four days, Jesus finally shows up. And he goes there to to Lazarus' house and and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, that were there and they were grieving. And they said, "Hey, uh, hey, thanks for coming. Where were you? You're too late. And it was that uh, time that we read one of the most beautiful and the shortest passage of Scripture, which says Jesus wept. He wept for his friend. He, he grieved, even though he knew that he was going to do something amazing. And it's this, at this point is where we pick up the story, when uh, we read about today. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 38, we read, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when Jesus had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth was wrapped around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Again, a passage that uh, is a little bit uh, surprising, that God doesn't always heal how we would expect. And that uh, in this passage, we see that, that God doesn't always work on our time schedules, right? He allowed uh, Lazarus to die. But we also see in, in this passage that just because he allowed Lazarus to die did not mean that God wasn't involved in this. God was doing something in Lazarus' sickness. He was doing something redemptive, something powerful. In fact, if God didn't allow Lazarus to die, chances are none of us would know who Lazarus was today. Another thing I want you to get in this, though, is that God can heal anything, right? Uh, Lazarus had this really bad ailment called death, and it's about as sick as you can get. In fact, I think death is the worst ailment, the worst illness possible, right? And there really hasn't been much of a cure for that, except for Jesus showed he can cure it. And he can cure not just fresh dead, you know, he can cure four days stinky dead. The Jesus, that God can heal anything, even death. The third uh, person I want us to look today is a guy named Eutychus. And um, Eutychus is a a young man. Um, It was the time of After Jesus was crucified, he raised again. The church was growing. There was a a, a man named Saul of Tarsus who was a persecutor of the church who had a a life-transforming encounter with the risen Jesus. And he became this man that we know as the Apostle Paul. And Paul, after his transformation, went to, to go and to share the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, the reality that God has come and put on flesh, the living hope of Jesus with other people throughout the whole world. And he went to people that weren't even Jewish. He went to Gentiles. And and as he went to different places, he continued to grow the church. And our story today comes from one of those places, a place that was in Greece, a place called Troas, which uh, most of us know for uh, the people from Troas, the soldiers there built this thing called the Trojan horse, right? That was was their hometown. Well, uh, in Troas, we have uh, Paul is there and he's up in the upper rooms. He's three stories high and he's preaching uh, in the evening to a packed room, a packed house. And that's where we pick up our story in Acts chapter 20, verse nine. And it says, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive, and they were greatly comforted. Now, a couple of things that are awesome in this particular passage. Uh, the first one, I love this passage as a pastor because it reminds me that uh, even the great apostle Paul could uh, bore someone to death, literally bore someone to death. And so uh Sometimes you just, you know, you go on just a little too long. And so I try not to make that happen. Uh, You'll notice there's no third story windows in our church. But uh, beyond just comforting pastors when people fall asleep in their sermons, I think that this passage shows us something else, that God can heal anywhere, anywhere. And it doesn't, you don't have to have the physical Lord Jesus right there, that that Christ is with us, but also that anywhere, that, that you don't have to be in some holy place. You don't have to go to some temple or go to the church or anything like this. Like God is sovereign over the entire world. I mean, he can even go out to Greece, to Troas, Far, far from the Holy Land. And of course, there's, there's lots of other examples in Scripture of healing. Right? We have a, a story in the Gospels of a, of a man who was born blind. And then Jesus heals them and they asked him, they said, Lord, who is sinning? Was it this man or his parents that this guy was born blind? And Jesus said, no one sinned. This happened and that God is going to show glory through it. And so we found that Jesus healed him and he had purpose in the ailment and he had purpose in the healing. It's a great story. And also said Jesus can heal anything, even born blindness. There was a woman who was bleeding for over a decade, spent her entire fortune going to doctors. They couldn't help her. And she was healed because she had enough faith to go and just touch the hem of Jesus' robe. And she was healed. We have a paralytic that was lowered through a ceiling and, and that Jesus healed him with just words. We have a, a, a man that was, uh, had a crippled hand that was all shriveled up. And, and people were, the, were trying to use him as a trap because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus still healed him, even on the Sabbath. I mean, in fact, if you read the Gospels, you're going to read story after story after story of how Jesus heals. If you read the New Testament, you're going to find the apostles healed. You read the Old Testament, you see the the prophets uh, were healing. Our God is a healing God. He's bigger than illness. He is. And we find that this is something that God knows, that illness is a brokenness of the body. And when we hijack this world from God, we broke more than just uh, our spirits we broke this whole creation and part of that is the physical world and so illness is is an expression of that brokenness and God has a heart for us because he is good and so today I want to talk about four truths from those passages that we read from the and from the new testament about how we can face our uh, illness with uh, faith with a living hope and uh the first truth that I'm going to point out today that we get from this is that God can heal anyone, anywhere, from anything. And that's true. It doesn't matter what you have, God can heal it. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, sometimes people say, well, God would never heal me. I've, I've done all these awful things. Guess what? God can heal his enemies. He can heal Naaman. Uh, Some people say, well, I have this illness and it hasn't gone away for a long time. There was a woman who was bleeding for over a decade and God healed her. There was a man named Lazarus who waited until he was dead and then was four days dead and God healed him. God can heal anywhere, anytime, anyone from anything. Believe it. There's a power in that. And so we see things like Naaman, this pagan, being healed. We see people like Lazarus and Eutyches being healed in distant lands and from very severe illness, including death. And the first thing that helps us face illness is knowing this, that it's not bigger than our God. We have a living hope that is bigger than the ailments that we struggle with. The second truth is this, is that God may or may not heal in the moment. And this is one we don't like. We want to be like Naaman, right? We want to say, well, we want the the clergy to do some kind of big show. We want to do all these things. And then we feel like, you know, if we say all the the big words and all that kind of stuff, then uh, I'll have this healing. (laughs) But God is the one that provides healing, and God gets to choose when he heals. I mean, Naaman, yeah, he pretty much got an instant healing, even though it was different than he thought. He had to go do and dip himself in the water. It made no sense to him what he was doing, but he did it, and he received healing. Lazarus on the other hand died waiting see it wasn't an issue of deserving it and I would think between the two we would say maybe Lazarus was probably a f- more faithful man a closer to God maybe he should deserve a healing more than than Naaman and I think that's hard sometimes when we pray and, and we wait for God's healing that we say you know what uh, uh God why are you not healing me um, haven't I done enough? Haven't I learned the right lesson or all those types of things that we, those games we play, or we see somebody else receive a healing and we're like, well, why them? Well, it's not for us to say. It's up to God who he's going to heal. And what allows us to face that and say it's okay is that to know that God is good, that he's choosing always our good, our best above uh, anything else. And so sometimes his timing is not Our timing. I mean, Lazarus needed to die so that he could be part of a better miracle. And so to recognize that healing is never an issue of deserving it, it's not even an issue about faith. I, I, let me ask you, who between the two do you think had more faith? Do you think that uh, Naaman had more faith, or do you think Lazarus had more faith? And so it's not an issue about, oh, I have enough faith that God's going to heal me. Is do you have a mustard seed? Do you have enough to trust, say, God, would you, would you heal me? Would you please? If you have that, recognize that God has the full power to heal you, and he may heal you in that moment. But if he does not, it doesn't mean that he's not going to heal you. I mean, look at Lazarus. He had to wait. And because he waited, God did something amazing. And the purpose of this is recognize that Jesus didn't come just to heal our bodies. He didn't send us the Holy Spirit to heal our bodies. We have heaven coming, right? That what we are struggling with today doesn't compare with coming next. That Jesus didn't come that we would have perfect bodies in this life. We're getting new bodies. If he heals us, the purpose is to build faith. And if he says, wait, I'm not going to heal you yet, the purpose is to build faith. He's far more concerned with our spirits and our eternal state than he is with the state of our body. And so if he says, wait, can we trust him to say, well, I believe he knows what he's talking about and he loves me enough to make me wait. And if he heals you in the moment, Can you be like Naaman and say, now I know that there is a God and to bring him praise? The point is healing brings faith. So if God may heal you in the moment and he may not, the purpose is, are you drawing closer to him? The third truth is this, and this is a really hard one, is that God may choose not to heal at all. And see, no one told me this before Amy and I started struggling, our family struggled with illness. I always felt like, uh, you know, if you pray and you have faith and God's gonna heal, that's what I was told. And so when we struggled and, 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 and with illness that came into our life, and we prayed, and we fasted, and we did all the things, I felt really angry and ashamed. And I think sometimes the church falsely and accidentally and unintentionally shames people who are sick. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't a lack of faith. We believed God could do it. We were asking Him to do it. We were doing everything in Scripture that told Him to do it. But He said at that time, not yet. And maybe He even said no. But I'll tell you, but the knowingness that sometimes God may choose not to heal is not actually, it's not a bad thing. And the reason it's not bad is because God is good. And if he says no, he's doing something better because of it. That's an empowering truth. And let me show you where I get the end of scripture. If you have your Bible, why don't you open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, it's the end of that letter to the Corinthian church. He's he's writing about foolishness and pride, right? And he sets as an example of foolishness and pride, he starts, he talks about his own life and and something that he has to struggle with. And so we read about it in uh, verse 7 going through verse 10. And so it says here, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, then I am strong. (laughs) What an amazing passage. See, God may choose not to heal, and that's okay, because if he chooses not to, and we've asked him to, we came to God and say, please heal me, and he said, no, know this, he's choosing your greater good. And like the Apostle Paul, there's going to become a time when you're going to look back on the thing that he has chosen not to heal you from and say, thank you for not healing me from that. He did something better. I guess in a way you can say that this is what Lazarus' experience was. (laughs) He he wasn't really healed. He was given new life, but... But there are times in life where we pray for God to change, to do something in our life. And he says, no, I'm going to allow you to suffer. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that that he's not present. In fact, it's quite the opposite, that God says, I'm going to be more present now because now you're going to have to depend upon me and you're going to see my power carry you through, not just your own. And you're going to do greater things because of this, not in spite of them. And so we look at the apostle Paul who said, you know, I prayed for these things. I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. I know it was in the flesh. Was it a, a physical ailment? A lot of people think so. Maybe not. I don't know. Scripture, I think, is very smart not to tell us because we all have different thorns in the flesh. But if God says no, recognize that it's not because he hasn't like you. Did, did, was God not uh, pleased with the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament? It's not an issue of faith or lack of faith. Sometimes in the midst of our brokenness, we allow God to take that brokenness and use the brokenness itself. And like Paul We can testify this was a better thing. And Paul said, if it wasn't for this thorn in the flesh, I would have been prideful and arrogant. And can you imagine how that would have hindered his ministry? How much more helpful was that the apostle understood brokenness and pain? The fourth truth I want to talk about today that's going to help us faith is this, that God always redeems suffering. See, God can heal anyone from anything, anytime. And he doesn't always heal in the moment, but he can heal anytime he wants to. So we can't put our timing on it. We trust God's timing. And even if God says, no, I'm not going to heal, recognize that God always redeems our suffering. Not sometimes, not like, well, he might redeem it. God, if you are in the kingdom of God, he will always 100% redeem your suffering. Remember Romans eight eighteen. I hope so, because it's our memory verse. And it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our present suffering sometimes includes our illness, brokenness. It could be a virus that came from a far off land. It could be cancer. It could be a mental illness. It doesn't matter what it is. Our present sufferings, no matter what you're going through today, how hard it is, I want you to know this, it doesn't compare. When you get to heaven, you're not gonna be like, well, was it worth it? Ah." Be like, it doesn't even compare, right? God is doing something in you. God is working about a reconciliation in your life and through your life that will make everything that we face today seem like small potatoes, like nothing compared to what's coming. So we keep our eyes on that. So when I suffer today, I recognize I'm not gonna suffer forever. If you got sickness today, recognize you're not gonna be sick forever. There's gonna be an end date. There was a beginning date to your sickness and there will be an end date, but there will be no end date for the glory that we will enjoy in eternity with Christ. And what he has set before us is so far worth it. But there is nothing, nothing so bad in this world that we would say it wasn't worth it when we get there. So endure. But I also want you to know this, that that not only is the heaven worth it and the healing will come, look what it says in Romans 8, 28, 10 verses later. It says that we know that in all things, including sickness, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is why we pray for healing. If we don't pray for healing, if we take our sickness and say, God, we're going to take this on our own, he'll let us. He's he's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us, even his his followers. But if we take our sickness and our illness and our concerns and our anxieties to him, then we can trust him with the answer. And the reason we can trust him with the answer is because he's good. And that God will always, he seeks the good of those who love him. He seeks our good. And he will actually use whatever we have for our good. And so if it's in our best interest to heal us, he will heal us. And if he says, wait, it's in our best interest to wait. And if he says, no, it truly is in our best interest to not have that relief at this time. But he won't abandon us. If he heals you, it's to draw you closer to him so you can give him glory. If he tells you to wait so you can draw closer to him and and find your your, your peace in him and he will carry you through the storm so you don't worry about them in the future. And if he says no, you're going to find your peace. It's going to draw faith in in him. You're going to see his strength in your weakness. And so if you're suffering illness today, pray, ask God, and then trust him for the answer. Believe that he can heal you. I don't care what it is, he can heal you. Trust him for the answer. And I want to say this, that something else there, that, that God is, uh, this is not something I'm just preaching in theory. This is something that happened in my own life. Um, about, uh, it was about 14 years ago now, it was a, about a year after my son was born, about 18 months after Thomas was born, my wife started to get sick. And, and a lot of you know Amy, and if you don't, you're from the internet, and uh, God bless you, I'm so glad that you're here. She's the sweetest, kindest, most wonderful woman. Uh, And and when we were younger, did a lot of healthy things. And, you know, in high school, she didn't drink, didn't smoke. She took care of her body, all that kind of stuff. And and we enjoyed some really great years of real health and marriage. And and that first year, we had our son. It was good. But then about a year after that, she started to get a lot of pain. Her health started to go deteriorate. We didn't know why. And we spent 10 years going to doctors and specialists. And she had all kinds of tests and took all kinds of medicines. And it was awful. And over that period of time, we just saw her health deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate. Until the point there was one year that she actually spent as many days in the hospital, in fact, a few more than she spent at home. It was, it was bad. And it took away our time, and it took away your energy, it took all that kind of stuff, and we prayed, and it was hard. And, and we did pray for healing, and God said no, at least not now. And in that time, we learned some amazing things. In fact, just a, a couple of days ago, every morning, my wife and I start each day with a, we have a cup of coffee, and we talk about the day and with each other, and we were talking about how grateful we were for her illness. And, and to understand how far we had to come to so we could get to that point. Because we have seen, because of Amy's illness, not in spite of it, we have seen God expand us and, and grow us in, in maturity. We are better uh, spouses. I'm a better husband because of it. She's a better wife because of it. Uh, it, it freed her from a lot of things that she struggled with in the past, uh, like body image issues and things like that, That, that uh, you know, the, the lie that this world imposes upon our young ladies. Uh, my wife was able to be freed from when she finally had to go through and struggle uh, through this illness. Uh, for me, it was this thing where I recognized that I was oftentimes uh, uh, loving other people, including my wife, only when they had something to give, and I got to grow past that, which is an important thing for a pastor, by the way. But it gave us compassion for those that were broken and were hurting. It opened up so many more doors. My wife's testimony, because of how she's so open and honest, about these things, have saved people's lives from suicide, have helped people uh, address their own illness and face difficulties and depression. It has increased uh, our ministry in the church, and we have seen the kingdom of God grow because of this illness. We've seen our family grow because of this illness. We've seen, I- in spite of everything, we've, even financially, we've had greater peace because now we know God's going to take care of us when we follow him. God has used her illness in powerful ways to do great That's things. And so like the Apostle Paul, we could say yes. In, in our weakness, we recognize that, that we are truly strong. And God still may heal her. But even if he doesn't, we know this, that our God is a powerful God and he can at any moment he wants to. And we have joy and power and living hope to face today. So here's the thing. It's not about us. It's not about you. If you're facing illness, it's not about you. It's about God doing something in your life and through you. Will you let him? And as you let him, will you trust him? And will you trust him because you know that he's good? See, that's the power of it. That's how we face illness with living hope. Today we covered some big things. Something I think is the topic of the day. So let me just recap them for you. How we can face the four truths for facing illness with living faith. The first one is that God can heal anyone, anywhere, from anything. And he can. And God may or may not heal in the moment. We can trust him with that. And that God may choose not to heal, and even that's okay because he is good. But we know this because he's good, God will always redeem your suffering. So no matter what you're going through today, give it to God. He is at work in it and he's with you. And so, if you're suffering illness, that's what I'm asking you to do. Pray. Ask for healing. Do it, because he can heal you. Trust his answer. Seek healing and help. Right? It's not bad to go to the church and say, hey, I'm struggling, and right now, if you're ill, if you've got sickness, uh, let the church know. In fact, even if you have allergies, right now is not the best time to be going to Safeway, because if you sneeze, and everyone's going to think you're this horrible social pariah. If you're struggling, let us know. The church is here. We're going to help you. We want to help. We've got lots of folks that are willing to to drop off groceries at your house, or things like this, so let us know. Let us pray with you, but also uh, let God use your suffering. No matter what it is, let him use it. And you'll see him uh, validate and and validate the truth of his uh, goodness in your life. So as I uh, bring this message to a close, uh, some things I'm going to ask you to do this week. The first one, and and if you have filled out our online connection card, God bless you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, If you haven't, click the tab or whatever, you can do that. But on there, you can see there's some things that we're going to challenge you to do. Uh, some next steps that you could take even in your house today. And the first one, memorize Romans 8.18. I'm not kidding. That is a passage helped me through some of my darkest times, recognizing that what I was going through today was not forever, that my current struggle was not the eternity. Another thing I'm going to challenge you to do is why don't you just read all of Romans 8. Get the context. See how God overcomes brokenness. Another thing I'm going to ask you to do is why don't we pray for the sick? Can you pray for the sick? Pray for th- And not just those of people that you know, pray for the people in our church. Uh, Pray for those that are struggling with this virus. Why don't you pray for the doctors and nurses and all that? Pray for the sick. And if you're praying for the sick, why don't we pray for the people that are helping end the sickness? Can you pray for our president and vice president? Why don't you pray for our governor and lieutenant governor? Can you pray for our mayor? Lift them in prayer. Ask God's will. And pray that God would break this pandemic and free us from it for his glory. The last thing I want to ask you to do is this. Can you encourage a healthcare worker? Right now, they're going on the front lines, and that's pretty hard. So if you know a doctor, a nurse, a CNA, uh, somebody who works in a pharmacy, things like that, why don't you uh, write them a note today, just a short email. Say, hey, thanks for, for doing what you're doing. Or write them a handwritten note, even better, and mail it to me if you have that. If you don't know one or you'd like to do a little extra credit, why don't you send us a note for one of our local health care workers, not even know who it is, and just say uh, to the church, And we're gonna package those up this next week and then we're gonna deliver them over to uh, the hospital and to uh, the Timberline Medical Clinic and just as a way of encouraging them. Let them know there's a church here that's lifting them in prayer and that we care for them. Would you join us in that? And of course, you can mail that to our, our church here. It's 4655 US Highway 36 here in Estes Park, Colorado. 80517. I said that fast, so you can find that address on our website, funchurch.com. All right, that's the message. Why don't I pray for you a blessing, and then we'll close up with some really great worship. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Almighty Father, that you are sovereign, that you are powerful, and that you are bigger than all things. I'm grateful to know that you can heal anyone, anywhere, from anything, at any time, that you, uh, it's an issue of your power, not of anything else. And you are always powerful, but I'm also grateful, Lord, that you are good. You are the definition of goodness. And so, Father, we ask that you would be in your goodness. You would heal us as a land, as a nation uh, from this illness. Lord, I pray for those that are listening today, if there's any who are sick, that your Holy Spirit would come and bring a healing touch into their life right now, that you would heal them from their illness. And, Father, if you heal them immediately, would you draw them to faith? And, Father, if you say no right now, you said, no, uh, Father, I'm waiting and Father, I pray that you would carry them, give them grace for today and tomorrow until you bring them healing, that it would draw them closer to you and you would build in them the greater thing. And Father, if you said no, that, that this is actually more important for them to struggle with this because you're doing something greater than them, give them encouragement and, and, and stamina, Father, uh, the ability to stick with you in it, that they can grow to a point of testimony, that their illness would be something that would allow them to see the reality of you in their life so they can face all the rest of their life with the true, the living, the powerful hope that our God is with us. Lord, we've made commitments today. Help us to keep those in a way that blesses you. Father, help us to be a blessing to each other and to this community in your name, we pray, in and, and the wonderful, saving name of our great physician, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us.